Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. That's right. Just keep on breathing. From Los Angeles and New York City, a big L.A. and Big Apple. Welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg from thecaregiverspace.org. Say hello, Adrian. Hello. <laughs> Coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on 18. I'm sorry, that's an old number on 25 <laughs> global 25. Audio and video class. Yes, 25. Count them. iTunes, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, MixCloud, Listen Notes, Blueberry, Player FM, Podcast.com, VIP Internet Radio, Facebook Live, HealthyLife.net, CaregiverDave.com, and many more. And we're proud to be voted the number two best podcast out of the top six best caregiver podcasts by Caring.com. And many other voting uh, have put us in the top 10 out of thousands. And we have an exciting show planned for you today. It's just for us today. And uh, we had a guest who canceled at the last minute because of a hurricane and no power and no Internet. Can you imagine such a lame excuse as that as canceling our interview, Adrian? I mean, my no, boss. not not with laptops <laughs> in this world. But that's what science. But we're going to reschedule that. But I was on I was on this thing. This um, uh, tell me again what you call it, Maria. <laughs> caregivers mixer. I was on a caregivers mixer virtual, and all these uh, caregiver people with caregiver questions were uh, coming on. And they had two minutes, and then boom, the next one would come on, and boom, the next one would come on. You can extend it if you want. And I met this girl. Maria Tanesca, and she is a student, and she's almost a psychologist with her bachelor's, and she was asking some very, very intelligent questions, and, and uh, while we were on, I got a call from New Jersey saying, power's not coming on, uh, we'll have to reschedule, and so I asked her right on the spot, hey, how would you like to join me in a few minutes <laughs> or to be on a, a international radio show? And she said, oh, well, I'm not prepared. And I says, well, listen, Maria, I gave her the pep talk. I says, you know, successful people uh, have to be ready in season and out. And when the curtain goes up, they got to be ready to, to sing their song, to do their dance. And she so graciously agreed to be uh, allow me to push her out of her comfort zone. And <laughs> here she is today among friends. It's just you and me, Maria and Adrian. We're in my living room and we're just talking. So... Let me start with the first question. Um, who is Maria Tanesca, and why was she put on this earth? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I am a psychology student who is currently working on my graduation thesis. I, um, I consider myself just to be a, a very basic person. I love uh, reading, I love uh, nature and I love music, those are my three mm. uh, interests and things that relax me uh, I love spending time with my family with my friends, with my partner I am very curious I am very outgoing I'm just a regular 
uh, person. I don't consider myself to be to be exceptional or different from most of the people. So, one yes. day you will be exceptional. Just keep telling yourself that because there's nothing wrong with being exceptional. And now uh, you're from Macedonia. Um, yes. How did you learn English, and what's it like living in Macedonia? Tell people okay. where Macedonia is, because that's a biblical city, isn't it? It's a biblical city. It is a, a country, and it is located in the central of Balkans. And I've known English basically since I've known Macedonians. So mm. um, I I speak English since I was a child, since I was in preschool, but we learn it at school. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I started learning it from my fourth grade, and today children learn it from their first grade. So basically, once you enter the formal educational system, you start learning English, but most of the children now know English even before they enroll into education, because the internet is basically English. It's a very and smart school system you have there, very uh, smart, some people don't feel that way and they're left behind so good for you oh yes we uh, and once you enter the higher grades you even have a second uh, foreign language so I learned oh. French and then I studied Italian as well <laughs> didn't so, I tell yes. you uh, you sounded like you had a French accent <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> thank <that> you <laughs> thank you and living is in Macedonia is I could say pleasant it's a small country with, with very warm people. It's a beautiful country, beautiful nature. So a nice uh, place it has for ups and downs. To visit? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we have uh, very well developed tourism, and I actually come from a tourist place. I live by the oldest lake in Europe, so that's mm. Ohrid Lakes, and it's very beautiful. The nature mm. in the country is amazing. and. It is for me, I would say, a hidden gem. So I, I warmly recommend you to visit. I'm going to put it on my okay. list of places to visit. Thank you. <laughs> so um, caregiving, you know, most of my audience are burned out caregivers. We're trying to help them survive, not to die, because 30% of them die before their loved ones do. Um, you're learning to be a psychologist, and you were on a, uh, a chat for caregivers uh, specifically. So uh, I understand you have a, a burden for caregivers. You have a heart for caregivers. Uh, tell us where that burden and that interest came from. Yes. Well, I was working as an activity coordinator in a dementia care home in the United mm. Kingdom when I first came across uh, people with dementia and when I realized what is right and what is wrong. So, the first, what I learned is that we have a totally wrong approach for dementia. Mm. Uh, there are many misinformation, many stereotypes that go around the concept, and then the caregiving topic is a whole new topic that is behind this. And I would see family members come and uh, talk to their, to their loved ones, and they would talk to me. And I realized in talking in those conversations of how hard this process is for them, even though, even now, when their loved ones are in the care home, 
you could still feel the the pain you could still feel the, the guilt you could still feel the the denial they felt towards the whole situation and i realized this is not the way to treat this so yeah people need to learn how to do this uh, because it is not something that comes naturally we are not born with the cap capacity to care for other people <laughs> but it is something very expected from us uh, especially in my country in more traditional societies but i've come across this phenomenon also with uh, talking with people from different countries so if you have an older parent or an older relative or a wife a uh, brother doesn't matter and if they get ill uh, and not well it is your obligation it is a natural process mm. to care for them and you are caught up in a situation that you are not prepared for and you don't have the right mindset for and you don't have the right support for and it is something that I realized in that moment should be changed. Wow, that, that is very uh, profound. You know, both of my mother and my mother-in-law had dementia and I'm very familiar with the challenges of dementia. You know, I thought, at first I thought that uh, stroke was a, a tough one to care for someone with uh, suffering from aphasia, you know, the uh, inability to speak, etc. But when my parents, uh, when my mother had dementia and then my mother-in-law, I changed my whole mind. I said, no, 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 this is worse than that. Um, can you just give maybe three or four uh, specific um, problems or things that people uh, who have loved ones with dementia uh, are fail to do or do incorrectly and, and what recommendations you would have to change that because you're in a unique uh, position you're young you have fresh ideas you're just gonna come out of school with your with your degree you uh, speak all these languages you're gonna change the world my dear <laughs> <laughs> so we have the privilege of hearing it from you first go ahead <laughs> well the thing there is no recipe the first thing is there is no recipe and there is no formula for caring with somebody who has dementia because it's progressive and it's unpredictable and what we need to learn is first to support ourselves in order to be to be able to support dementia is demanding because you have the psychological the mental um, deterioration and then you have the physical deterioration so you're dealing with two processes, very different of a kind. And the first one is more demanding physically, but generally it is an emotional, emotionally demanding experience. It what that is what drains caregivers. And when I talk to caregivers, they usually say, "I don't mind the physical, um, the physical demands. What what hurts me most is that." I, I'm not able to keep uh, to carry on with the connection I had with my mother, wife, spouse, brother, or whoever they're caring for. So there is a change in relationship. And what I would like to 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 put an, uh, an emphasis on is that a changed relationship is not a lost relationship. So yes, it is hard mm -hmm. to to become a carer of a person who 
who you were equal to or who cared for you maybe in the first place and to lose their support but you still have the connection it is just the nature of the connection that's changed mm -hmm. so for example if it's a spouse you are losing support in your life and especially if they were the the one who were looking after the the household more or right. who were there to to uh, carry out uh, important decisions there's a lot of burden on the person who's caring but yes but what is important is that it's not lost and i'm, I'm gonna I cannot emphasize this enough. Dementia is not a dead sentence. You can still include your loved one into everyday life. It is just going to be different. And how is this possible? It's in the small things, I say. So you're, you're cooking something, you're making lunch, you're cleaning something. You do not neglect them. They're not disappeared. Include them, include them with small things, with minor things. They're gonna feel needed, they're gonna feel useful, and you're gonna get that small support and small interaction that you are lacking in your in your uh, relationship. relationship. So that that is something that is very often forgotten because yeah. it is not the caregiver's fault, it is how we treat dementia in the first place. Uh, so we need a systematic change. Uh, dementia is not something that that just steals the the, the person. There is a still their personality is changing, is deteriorating, but they're still here. Yes. And what we need is we need to support them with things they love and they enjoy in. When I used to work with people uh, who, had, uh, who have dementia, who live with dementia, I wasn't trying to find an activity who's going to please all of them. What I was first, first do is read their file and, f and talk to them. So, what learn about their life history, what they liked, what they didn't like, what, they, uh, what hobbies they enjoyed, what movies, what kind of music. Because we, we must never forget that the, there is a person standing opposite of you. It is not a disease. It is not something that, that you cannot connect with. It is a person. Talk to the person. Get to know the person. Find the healthy potential in them that you can collaborate with. Mm. We might not be able to collaborate with the ill part but we are always able to collaborate with the healthy uh, potential in the person. Mm -hmm. So, generally, uh, that is what I've noticed and what I recommend. I mean, I could talk for this uh, for another five episodes of the, of the I can hear show. The, I can hear the passion in your voice. Yes. What do you do? Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions that people have uh, about their loved one with dementia. For example, here's some questions that I had. Um, now, I had two people, my mother and my mother-in-law, and they both behaved very differently. My mother was so cuddly and nice and and understanding and, uh, uh, you know, complicit and obedient. 
Whereas my mother-in-law, on the other hand, she was more like a witch. You know, she disagreed. <laughs> she argued. She was, uh, you know, chose to believe that somebody was breaking into her house five times a day and stealing her stuff, and then breaking in again and putting them back in different places to drive her crazy. Uh, she believed that I was trying to steal her house and drive her crazy, and uh, she changed the locks four or five times. Um, what do you do with someone like the latter? Because the first one is pretty easy to care for. You just, you know, and when she said, oh, you know, what was that again? And uh, why don't I remember things? You know, she embraced her dementia. She knew that she had a problem. But uh, my mother-in-law, she refused to believe that there was a problem with her memory. And whenever something obvious would come up, um, she would argue. Um, so there's two such situations here. What do you do with the uh, dementia patient who just refuses, is in denial, and is delusional? What do you do with them when you have to talk about reality sometimes? You can't always agree with them. Can you? Yes. Well, it is a delicate question. And first, when we talk about dementia, we have to be mindful that we are talking about an umbrella term that uh, co that covers different co type of conditions that generally affect person's uh, cognition, uh, personality, and uh, behavior, but also their fun functioning uh, and limits their independence. So dementia is caused by different kinds of diseases, uh, mostly it's Alzheimer's disease, but there are also other types of conditions that cause dementia, and they all have different different symptoms. So, in Alzheimer's, you can you you see people having delusional thoughts, and uh, sometimes even hallucinations. And it is hard to argue with this. Why? Because it is there. However frustrating it is for you at the moment, it is their reality. Mm -hmm. And convincing them that you are not trying to break into their house, it is like convincing you that you are not talking to me at this moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's, fo it's foolish to to disagree with them or to argue with them about right. things that you're never going to convince them of. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <clears throat> yes, and instead of wasting your energy into that, you, you, we need to, to invest our energy in trying to understand what's behind. Because in that condition, uh, you generally feel confused. The world around you is unfamiliar. You don't recognize sometimes the people around you. You think you are somewhere else. You need familiarity. You need structure. You need support. And you're afraid. And what, what in that moment the person needs is they need to be understand. And behind those repetitive phrases, like you said, you are somebody's trying to break into my house, there is a worry of fear behind that sometimes cannot be verbalized. And what you, you, what you need to do is you, you're not going to stand there and waste your energy in, in explaining nobody's trying, it's me, your son-in-law, your son, your, no, I love your gift. No, ask who, who, who is trying to break into your house? 
And what do you think they're trying to steal? You might get into what are they afraid to lose at the moment, and they might say, they're gonna hurt my son. For example, they think that, that they have a baby in the house, maybe, or they're gonna steal something very valuable from me. I'm gonna lose something. And that is how you get to the need. And then reassure them, okay, I'm gonna check all of the doors and make sure nobody's getting into the house, for example. I'm gonna go and talk to that person and ask them to leave the house, to leave the room, or take them into another room where they feel safer and calmer. If you go into the road of, of um, arguing, you're just gonna get more frustration from both sides. So you need to, to as I said earlier, col collaborate with their healthy potential. See the worry, the fear, whatever it is, the need behind those repetitive thoughts and uh, phrases. Good points, good points. Listen, we're gonna take a break now. We'll be right back. Don't go away, okay? Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back with Maria Tanaska and me, Caregiver Dave, and Adrian Gruberg of the Caregiver Space. And we're talking about uh, dementia. Uh, Maria, Adrian also does what I do uh, in a different <laughs> way, but she has something called the Caregiver Space. It's a website and it's a Facebook page and she has chat rooms and, and groups of different uh, support groups, uh, you know, like a cancer support group and, and uh, an aftercare group because a lot of people get depressed after they're not a caregiver anymore and so on. Do you have any questions for Maria uh, yeah. related to what you've heard so far? Yeah. There is a problem with people being equipped to deal with dementia and with Alzheimer's. There are no classes. You're, you're just sort of thrown into it. In some cases, slowly. In some cases, it's very quick. But I, I also found that when people are let out of the hospital, caregivers are not told how to care for the people that they're going home with. They're they're lost, and it's not just, you know, related to dementia and and Alzheimer's. Caregivers are very often totally ill-equipped. I really feel that when somebody's being discharged, 
the caregiver should get a packet um, that's specific to to the kind of problems that the person's being discharged has. And so when you when you said that, that was what it made me think of. Yeah, so that's a good that's point. That's another area that needs to be worked on. You thought about things like that, Maria? Yes, and thank you for bringing this up. I mean, it is very important. As I as I said, nobody prepares you for this uh, because it is still treated as a part of your family role. But it is actually not. It is not normative. And if they usually compare it with bringing up children. But it's, it is completely different. <laughs> because when you bring up children, uh, most often it is your choice, a uh, conscious choice to have children. But even if it's not, uh, children development is progressive. They become more and more independent from you as time goes by. Caring with somebody uh, who lives with dementia is regressive. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, they become more and more dependent of you as time goes by. And you are not young as when you, uh, you were when you had children, most probably. Mm -hmm. And you have uh, maybe your own children to take care of. And you're not in a position of getting somebody being more and more uh, dependent of you. Uh, so, a support system, a systematically developed support system is needed from the first moment you receive a diagnosis. Right. So, first, what is it? What is this condition? What should I expect? Exactly. When, when, where, and how can I ask for help? Uh, am I ready for this? So uh, that is a very good question to ask yourself. Do I want to do this? Am I willing to do this? Am I going to end up uh, regretting or being uh, bitter at the end of this? Am I going to ruin my life and, or ruin my, my family's life? And nobody gives you the time to, to think about this. Right. You're just giving a diagnosis. And it is your, it is your life now. It, however you cope with it, it is up to you. And that is not how we should treat this prob problem that affects millions of people worldwide and their families. That is unimaginable. So we need a systematic approach from the first moment starting from the information you receive, setting up your expectations and supporting you throughout the whole process and not treating you, treating it like it's something it is obligatory for you to do, no matter who, whoever it is, whether it's your spouse, your mother, your, your brother, however maybe mean it sounds, you're not obligated to do that and you're not obligated to do it alone. You need support, you need education, and you need somebody to, to care for you as well. Mm -hmm. 
Maria, have you heard about the new dementia communities that are being planned and actually built um, in, in Europe, I believe they were. I, I've read about them. Nothing here yet, but they sound really nice, I mean, on paper. Do they really work? Have you done any research on them? I've read about them. Uh, they're called dementia villages, actually. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it is a very nice concept uh, because, for, um, first of all, it gives people independence. And as we, uh, as I mentioned earlier, with some of the participants on the mixer, it gives them sense of community, and that is why uh, what is uh, that is one of the first things lost. A safe environment, uh, kind of like you would baby-proof your house yes. or whatever. You're baby-proofing your city. Or and it's giving them a com it's giving them a community, which is freedom. They would they would be isolated otherwise. You don't have to worry about them wandering off because, no. you know, everyone's watching yes. out for each other. <clears throat> and uh, I've mentioned earlier, uh, I'm not sure if I talked this with you, Dave, but the, one of the most challenging things uh, about caring with somebody who lives with dementia is keeping their dignity. Yes. Because... Once you receive a diagnosis of dementia, you are automatically treated differently. After a while, social isolation comes because you are not considered to be a valuable participant of community. And in some cases, people are considered to be even dangerous, aggressive, uh, lost, that uh, there are stereotypes that you cannot carry on a conversation with somebody who has dementia, that they, they don't know who they are, where they are, and it is generalized to, to all millions uh, of, of cases. And most so, people with dementia have very good long-term memories. They can yes, tell you what they did 30, 40 years ago, amazing. just not five minutes ago. Right. <clears throat> it is true. And there is a lot of wisdom in them. And there's a lot of knowledge. They have their whole life experience behind them. So there's a lot that you can learn from somebody who has dementia. Again, uh, once they receive, uh, once you receive a diagnosis of dementia, you become dementia. You are not somebody who lives with dementia. And that is something that has recently changed. It was a person who suffers from dementia. So just from the terminology, we can see how it is treated. Mm -hmm. And now uh, it is uh, somebody who lives with dementia is used, which is good. But are we treating them like people who live with dementia, or are we treating them like dementia and nothing else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's so true. So that, is the, that is the primary question we need to, to pass upon ourselves as society, as scientists, as professionals. Caregivers, how are we, we treating people? How are we approaching them? Yeah. Maria, you talked uh, originally about knowing the person and their history and, and then s sort of, it, it, for lack of a better phrase, just designing you know, what life with them should be like. Uh, but... I don't necessarily feel that their 
family caregiver is equipped to do that. How do you see society changing, um, the mental health area changing, um, elder care changing, to address in, uh, these cases as individuals? I mean, because they remain individuals and have to be treated to be successfully treated. You're saying they need to be treated as a whole person. Yes, as I said, it, it should be a systematic change because dementia is more than just a disease. It, it is a system because it affects a person, it, it affects their family, and eventually it affects society because you are losing participants in society, you are losing uh, workforce, their families. Uh, as uh, If you're a caregiver, uh, let's be honest, you cannot give 100% at work because you are stressed. You are, uh, you are, you feel depressed, you, you are tired. You cannot uh, spend time with your family as much as, as you would love to, you cannot take care of yourself. So, so you are losing basically healthy, happy people if you're right. not supporting them correctly. So, as I said, from the first moment you receive a diagnosis, uh, you should also receive a whole system of information first. As I said, all the information you need about the specific case of your loved one, what should not be expected. Of course, dementia is not uh, predictable, but uh, there are different types, as we said, of, of conditions and what is specific to this condition, what is specific to this person also regarding their medical history uh, apart from the dementia diagnosis, how we should treat, uh, how we should treat these cases, what kind of treatments are available? So, uh, where can we find alternative type of treatments? What uh, what kind of medication? What kind of support? So everything that's related to the to the uh, specific illness related information, uh, if I could say that. And then about the caregiver, support groups. Uh, um, groups or institutions actually where we could apply for fin financial help. Um, mental health uh, support, assisted living uh, possibilities, possibilities for, for hiring a person to help you. So all of this information should be, should be given as a package from the first moment. So at any point if I feel that I cannot do this anymore, or I don't need enough, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough uh, time, I know where to call. That is something I think should be should be mandatory, and and some kind of program, some kind of trainings. Training. Yeah. yeah. So very good point. You are. If you are a caregiver, okay, we are giving you uh, once a month an opportunity to, to learn how to do this, how to take care of yourself, how to take care of your loved one 
So how to properly take care? Why? Because then, as Dave said, you end up in these kinds of discussions. You end up getting frustrated uh, because uh, because they, they are repeating sentences and you don't know what to tell them anymore because you've heard this for a hundred times today and I cannot do this anymore and oh my god how to approach those kinds mm -hmm. of situations you shouldn't right. be taught that so that is something that I think should be treated systematically where the healthcare yeah. system the social uh, the system for social care and educational system should work together to support caregivers and to support people who have who live with dementia mm -hmm. yeah we're up on a break in about three minutes, but I wanted to ask you, uh, what about the people who say, and I've said this myself, my sister said it to me, you know, <laughs> uh, when I go visit mom, I've been there for like four hours, and I come home, and I get a call the next day, where are you? You haven't visited me in a month. <laughs> and she says, you know, I wonder why do I even go, because she's not even going to remember that I was there. What do you say <laughs> to people who say that? I'm just gonna just gonna <clears throat> quote I believe Maya Angelo and she <clears throat> said people might not remember what you said but people will always remember how you made them feel. Your mother might not remember that your sister was there, but the emotion, the warmth, the happiness stays and it does stay. It is not it is not something that I just came up with. It does stay. Because when I, I, I returned to work every day, some of my clients, they didn't know my name, they didn't know who I was or what was I did there, but they just, well, they were happy when they, they, they would see me because they knew, they, they had this emotional uh, memory that we did something nice together, that yeah. we did something um, that, that made them feel good together. Mm -hmm. A moment. Yes, but they didn't know me and I didn't care. I just cared that they felt happy. Yeah, that's very good. There's a book out called uh, Moments that talks about how, you know, uh, go for the moments, even if the moment only lasts a few seconds. You know, I remember that, that scene in the movie of The Notebook. Remember when when uh, she didn't know him, then all of a sudden they're dancing, and she says, hey, let's go for a drive. Let's get out of here, and this and that. And, uh, you know... The point is, enjoy the moments. Don't be frustrated when they're not there or when they leave. Because they may not remember what you said, as you said, but they remember that they had a great moment. And it may make them happy the rest of the day or the rest of the week. And they don't know why they're happy, but they're happy because there was a moment there. So the other thing I want to talk about is, um, you know, I have a gas station, and one time this guy came in and... Uh, his demented father followed him, and he wasn't aware that he followed him into the station, you know, to buy something. And when he realized, he turned around, he saw him, he said, what are you doing here? I told you to stay in the car. You never listen to me. He's just, just embarrassing this guy in front of all the customers. And his small son is there listening to all of this. And I always say, be careful how you treat your elders because <laughs> you are Thanks. modeling to your children how they should treat you. You agree with that? Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. So, yes, definitely. Beha children uh, receive the behavior more than they receive the words. 
So each message has has a, a content and has a relation. So when I'm communicating you, I'm telling you some content, but I'm also communicating a relation to you. So am, uh, is it respectful? Is it, uh, I don't know, loving? Or is it aggressive? Children react to the relation. They don't react to the content very much. So uh, we find ourselves asking children, are you even listening to me? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. they, they do listen to you, but they listen to the relation. And it is, it is very important how we behave in front of children. I'm I'm at a a point in social reality where behavior and respect and things like that are almost going by the wayside because of cell phones. That people are not learning how to interact the way they should. And if if a kid is sitting in the back of a car and you throw you know, a tablet at them to keep busy and you don't engage them and teach them certain behaviors, they're, they're, they're going to be lacking when the time comes for them to be there for somebody else. That's so yes, true. It, it is challenging to, yeah. to, balance, to balance between uh, technology and Humanity. Parenting. <laughs> yeah. parenting, yes, it might take humanity, but you see, it is an evolution. It is where the world goes. Yes. And um, removing that from your children is not also the, the way. No. That is why parenting is all about balance. Hmm. Yes. Listen, we're up on another break. Uh, we'll be right back. We'll continue this conversation. Don't go away. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. And we are back with Maria Tanaska and my co-host Adrian Guberg, and I'm Dave Nassani, caregiverdave.com. And we're talking about dementia. Uh, this has been an, an amazing conversation. <laughs> um, I wanted to say, have you had any personal experience with dementia? Any relatives or friends uh, besides the the patients that you've been spending t some time with? And if not, then uh, tell us about uh, what you've learned the most that you've learned from a particular patient and the story behind it. 
Uh, I've not had a very close relative who who has developed dementia. I had some relatives who I've not had very close relations with. Um, but and I hope you never will. <laughs> yes, but it is at this point it's more wishful thinking uh, because <laughs> yes because it is expected the number of people who, who are affected by dementia to grow in the future. Uh, and as the number of uh, patients grows, the number of caregivers grows, so um, nobody is safe. That safe, is, no. <laughs> yes, that is why we need to learn how to approach this. Uh, yeah. correctly and what I've learned I, I I could say I've learned something from everybody but what I've learned is to live in the moment because that is the only time however ironical and paradoxical it may sound that is the only time when you can interact uh, with somebody who, who has dementia. Uh, if you stay present and in the moment with them and what, with whatever they, they bring to you in the moment. Uh, I had clients who, who would ask for their wives, uh, who would ask to catch the train the whole time. And if you start rationalize that, you are going the wrong way, as we said. You just live uh, in the moment. And in the moment, that is the reality for them. Fine. Okay, that's the reality for you. Uh, I've also learned to, to be grateful for what, we've had, uh, what I've had and what I have in my life. <clears throat> and to make memories. To make memories uh, even though besides the risk of losing them all. Right. Mm. You know, a lot of people are offended when they don't remember you anymore. And I, I heard someone say, and tell me if you agree with this, that it's not that they really forget who you are. They just, their mind is going backwards. So they remember you as a young man or as a young woman or as a child. And uh, there was an example of... Um, this husband knocking on the door, and the wife says, yes, who is it? He says, it's me, let me in. So she recognized the voice, she let him in, and when she saw him, she says, who are you? Get out of here. Because she remembered her husband as you know, tall, dark, and handsome, and this guy was old, <laughs> pudgy, and bald, you know, and uh, <laughs> she just didn't remember him anymore. Is that true? Yes, that is uh, absolutely true. Not that they only not remember the changes that occurred to you uh, from, from the time they were they they had the diagnosis because they are not very they are not able to make new to form new memories most of the time. Uh, but they also sometimes uh, are found in different periods of their life, so they might not even remember at the moment uh, that they had that they were married. They might think that at the moment they are children. Mm -hmm. And they might ask for, or they might confuse their 
their daughters with their mothers. I've seen this very often. Oh. And it's probably because of the emotion. So you, you feel that you love this person, you feel the love, you feel the caring, and you're confused because you cannot recall at the moment that you had children. You think right. you are a child and this is your mother. And that is very true. So and I'm sure uh, you were mistaken sometimes for a daughter of one of your clients, yes? Yes, I was uh, mistaken. They usually they, they called me kid. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you deal with that if, if they're, you're talking to them and they think you're someone else, do you try to correct them or you just go along with it? It depends. So um, the, people who, who live with dementia have fluctuations in their cognition throughout the day, throughout the periods of days, of the days. and some days, some days or some periods of the days they are more lucid and they think more clearly, they're able to remember better, uh, they're able to carry out a conversation better, and, and thus they are more confused. And this confusion causes them frustrations. So you need to calculate whether your correction is going to cause frustration and anxiety. So if they are in a state that is more confused, you, you are not going there. You might uh, change the subject. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you might change if you don't if you do not feel comfortable with that. You might change yeah. the subject, but do not go into uh, into go into saying you. I'm not your daughter. Your daughter right. is there and that. Right. And and one thing you I wouldn't recommend doing is we had I had many clients who were asking for their dead dead spouses. And if you tell them that their wife or husband is dead at, at that moment, it could turn out to be very bad. Mm. Uh, because it is their reality at the moment. And I cannot emphasize this enough. It is their reality. They are not inventing that. It is their reality. And for them, it is real as, it, as this is for me. And imagine somebody coming, you ask for, for somebody who you love, you, you want to see them, you miss them, uh, and somebody comes and tells you they're not alive. I have a question. I have a, I have a dear friend yes. who now has dementia, and she will call in the middle of the night and say... Jordan has left me. That was her husband. And Jordan's been dead for about 25 years now. And you have to tell her, like, Jordan loves you. He would never leave you. Hmm. But it's something that just keeps recurring. So some people that she calls in the middle of the night say, Jordan loved you so much, and, you know, he's been gone for 25 years. He's been dead for 25 years. How do you handle that? <laughs> it's, very, it's very disturbing, to, you know, to be awakened in the middle of the night and have to have your wits about you to deal with that kind of a question. Mm. Yes, uh, well, it is. It might be, and at that point... Uh, you might decide not to answer if you feel disturbed. 
Yes, if you feel disturbed, uh, it is better not to answer maybe at that point mm -hmm. than to to yell at at your friend or to tell her that her husband is dead. Mm. Oh no, I t I just tell her that Jordan loves you. <laughs> so, so you're. Uh, you, uh, uh, sorry, their safety uh, should be uh, a priority. Yeah. So uh, at that moment, however, however bad it may it may sound, if you are aware and accepting of their condition, you need to do everything to to ensure their safety at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we only have three more minutes to go. Time really flies when you're having fun. You're a great guest, but uh, I wanted to <laughs> talk about. Um, Meds. I know you're almost a psychologist, not a psychiatrist, so maybe you don't know a lot about meds, but um, there's so much money going to dementia research, you know, the dementia, uh, what do you call that, dementia association uh, has huge fundraising, and I know they're taking a lot of money, almost as much as cancer research. Um, is, is that money like helping? Are they coming up with new meds to help or prolong or slow down? Or, or What do you know about that? Yes, uh, well, you're right. Uh, we, as a psychologist, I won't be dealing with medication in my life. But um, how far are we in, in that field? Most of the medication usually ease the symptoms uh, there are there are some medication to ease the distress so anxiety or depression medication and delusions delusions yes 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 uh, so uh, antipsychotic medication and then there are some that are helping you to get um, if I could say mental clarity yeah mm -hmm. Uh, but there is no cure. Uh, right. We're not at the point where we have something to uh, Can to we slow it down? Can we stop at that point that they're at so it doesn't get worse? Uh, is that possible or no? Um, there are many research about slowing and preventing, but they are more concerned with lifestyle than with medication. Mm -hmm. So there are some crucial factors that uh, have been identified regarding li lifestyle that prevent or um, or maybe delays. slow down the delays. Uh, even when the person is diagnosed, there are some uh, lifestyle alterations that could uh, may ease the symptoms and delay the cognitive decline, but that is... Uh, it, it is not a formula, so uh, I would say I could uh, tell that um, Mediterranean diet, uh, aerobic exercise, mm. Mm. Um, maintaining healthy uh, blood uh, sugar levels, because uh, latest research, later latest research indicates that Alzheimer might be type of diabetes. Mm. So. Uh, and then uh, not smoking and drinking moderately. Everything that gives enough um, healthy nutrition and oxygen to your brain is recommended. Yeah. You bring up an interesting issue about drinking because I have a, a nephew whose mother has Alzheimer's or dementia, whatever it is she has, and she's an alcoholic. She drinks so much, and believe it or not, her, her dementia or and 
um, uh, Alzheimer's was caused by her alcoholism. Um, how often yes. does that happen? And she yes, that's, drinking. that's actually called Korsakoff syndrome. Hmm. And uh, it is connected to the loss of vitamin B caused by alcohol intake. And it is very serious uh, consequence of alcoholism or uh, excessive alcohol consumption. Mm. So it might, in some cases, not be as severe cognitive uh, decline as Alzheimer's, but it is, and it, it and it is progressive over time. Yeah. So well. We, we yes. have run out of time. Uh, I am so glad I met you today, and I'm so glad that you went out of your comfort zone and agreed yes. to come on your very first international uh, radio interview and um, a video, I might add. You'll be on YouTube and uh, Vimeo, many uh, audio and video platforms across the globe. So how do you feel? You did a great job. How'd she do? Yeah, I think she did a great job. You're very knowledgeable. You're very articulate. Very. Um, uh, I would never know that this was your first interview. You were very professional. Congratulations. <laughs> well, I, I, I have these kinds of conversations in my head all the time, so well, this is not my first in interview, if you see it that way. But yes, I felt amazing actually. I really do love talking on this subject. And uh, a while ago I realized that I do not talk enough on this subject. Uh, I don't have enough people in my life to talk about this subject. And thank you very start much a radio, for this. Start, a radio, start your own radio show. <laughs> I, might, I, I might as well. So thank <laughs> you very well. much for this. You're so good at it. And uh, for how this do we get opportunity. a hold of you if we want to speak, uh, if someone wants to speak to you or or has questions about dementia or uh, waiting for your, you to write your next book or your first book, I should say. <laughs> my, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that what happens. you got to write a book, you know. Yes. So uh, people can contact me on uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, WhatsApp, and Twitter. Uh, so it's my basically full name. I don't know if we can write this somewhere <laughs> or <laughs> here it no. is because it uh, actually it somewhere. Go ahead and it spell should, it one more time. Yes, it's uh, M A R I J A. That's my name, Maria. Maria. Yes, and then my last name. That's yes. That's T A N E S K A. Aneska, just like it sounds. Aneska yes, like yes, sounds. it's pretty much as it sounds. So um, right. I'm well, available uh, to be so much. contacted. Yeah. So thank you, thank you very much, Dave and yes. Adrian. It's been uh, it was a beautiful experience. Good. It was. It was really, great. yes, 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 and uh, I would also like to add that I am conducting a research at the moment, and if anybody, a caregiver, is interested in taking part, um, they you could just reach you. out to me. Yes, uh, okay. to my, my or you can reach out to us. Media. We'll reach out to her. One or the other, you can yes. reach out to me or her. Yes, yes. So thank, thank you very you everybody much, everybody, for uh, coming in. We will see you next week. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise
It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.